I welcome everybody to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room for today. Um, our study is, we're going to be continuing in our series uh, called Angels and Giants, and today is study number 70 uh, in that series, uh, Angels and Giants, Fact or Fiction. We're centering now mostly on angels, <coughs> but uh, we did cover the giants part of that earlier uh, way earlier in the story when they were relevant to the scripture that we were looking at. Uh, and today's date is uh, December the 4th, 2022. Our purpose, ongoing purpose in this entire series, uh, of course, is to investigate the angels and giants that are mentioned in scripture and by doing so, uh, try to alleviate some of the confusion that some scripture verses seem to generate with some folks. And hopefully... We are accomplishing that uh, that goal of this study series uh, by what we're looking at, and I hope you're you're getting a blessing out of it. Last week, uh, we progressed onward in our our look in the Revelation by reviewing chapter 17, uh, as it were, and we stopped last week at verse 8. So we will pick up in our study there today with uh, Revelation 17, 8. <clears throat> and uh, my goal for today is to try to get through the rest of chapter 17. And I will reiterate to you again, although it may seem like it's turning into a study of the book of Revelation, we're still intent on the angels, what they're doing, what they're revealing, what they're saying, and their role in all this judgment as we move forward through the angels that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Revelation that book has the word angel or angels or other spirit beings mentioned in it, like the elders and the beast that are around the throne of God. Uh, it has those um, beings mentioned in it more than any other book in the scriptures, best I can find. And uh, so hopefully as we go through this, and it, it would certainly, I think, be a shame not to, not to take our time and, and sort of absorb what's happening with these angels in the Revelation. So I don't want this to seem like it's turning into a study of the book of Revelation, although for all intensive purposes here within the next few weeks it may be. Uh, but here we're in study number 70, and I have no idea. We've, we're probably going to be a 100 studies in pretty easy as we, as we move through this. That's nothing like Dad's uh, 168 or 169 studies, I think, that he's got in wisdom uh, on Wednesday nights, but um, we're at least getting pretty close there. <clears throat> so, for today's study, I want to keep moving forward with our with our study in uh, chapter 17 by by continuing our review of that. So, turn with me back, if you would, this morning, Revelation chapter 17. And I want to go ahead and reread 1 through 8 just to give you the context. I hate to just jump in cold without uh, without kind of setting the stage again. As you'll remember, John, our, our man on the ground here, in the Lord's Day, he says he's in the Lord's Day. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So he is reporting back or recording as being revealed to him by these angels the things that he's seeing and and experiencing here 
in the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he's right in the middle of the, the judgments of the seven angels that we read about in chapter 16. And after that, those revelations are made in 17.1. John says this. He, he says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials. And that's the ones that we were looking at in chapter 16. So one of the seven angels come and talk with me, saying unto me, Come hither, or come here. I'll show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And so... If you wonder what that is, who the great whore is, and what the judgments are, and what the many waters are, then stay tuned for the rest of the, the revelation, because these angels themselves are going to reveal to John uh, what's going on, and what a lot of these symbols mean, this, these metaphoric symbols that we're going to see as we go through the uh, the revelation that's given to him. It says in verse 2, uh, talking about the great whore, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk uh, with the wine of her, or out of the wine of her fornication. So it's as if this, this great whore is subduing and uh, sort of hosing the rest of the kings of the earth, they're literally becoming drunk with the wine that she's distributing. That's kind of the way John puts it forth here, or the angel puts it forth to John, so to say. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit. So John's already carried away in the spirit from chapter 1 of Revelation, if you remember. He says he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, but then here again, he talks about being carried away in the Spirit. And we, we went over this a little bit last week, so I don't know if this is like a vision within a vision, or how this is working, but he maybe he's just reiterating that he's carried away in the Spirit. I don't know. I think he's going back and forth. He's been carried, I think, from heaven to to an earthly view and then back to heavenly view. Or maybe even a different point in time yeah. within the same vision. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's carried forward to the part where the judgment of the whore is happening. I, I'm, I'm wondering if even that's a possibility. It seems like maybe it is. Yeah, but I you might be right. I'm not, I'm not, and, and I'll leave that to you Bible scholars to study out and figure out. Like I say, I am not a I'm not an expert in the book of Revelation. Well, when you talk about wilderness, I don't believe there's no wilderness in heaven. Yeah, true. I would I would definitely so, agree with that. Therefore I I I was looking at at a time. At least not in the third heaven. Yeah. <laughs> not in the third heaven. But certainly there was wilderness there. Yeah. And and all in the earth were the children of God Suffered lots of pain. Oh, really? Because yeah. Because of their own. Oh, yeah, exactly. Damn. Good point. So he carried, and Dad's talking about verse 3 there, where it says, So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And this beast, uh, as we reiterated last week, is uh, thoroughly explained and mentioned by John in the vision in chapter 13 of the Revelation. So 
you can't really read 17 without hooking it to 13 and going back and seeing where the correlations are and comparing Scripture with Scripture, as a good Bible student should do. Uh, but for reading purposes here, we're going to move on this morning. Verse 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. This is the whore. And decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. And the cup is full, it says, of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. That's what the wine Sorry, it said all the kings of the world had was drunk with the wine of her fornication. Well, there it is. That's what's in the cup that's uh, making the kings uh, drunk, air quotes, uh, so to say. They they get used to all this sinfulness and this this uh, lasciviousness. But she's covered up with a color. Looks of very beautiful. Yeah. Royalty. Yeah. It looks. Look. Yeah. And, and looks. She's. Very uh, attractive to be uh, with and around and to be involved with. I mean, it's just very alluring. Yeah, the whole thing is very alluring. Verse 5, and it says, Upon her forehead, and this is interesting, was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So <clears throat> there's her title, just like... Uh, Remember, Herod wrote the title of the sign and put it on the cross over the head of the of the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, I think is what the sign said. And uh, same here. This is sort of on her forehead. Verse 6. John says, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints. So as the saints were killed, it was like a it was like a drug or an alcohol for this whore, this woman that sits on many waters. She loved it. She literally got drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. John says, and when I saw her, I wondered with great wonder. It's not admiration here. He doesn't admire her. He just becomes very curious when he saw her. He was he wondered with great curiosity is literally how that how that should read. That that admiration there is a pretty poor translation. As you will find many in the book of the Revelation. If you're really gonna read and study the book of the Revelation, the first thing you've got to do is to get a good uh Greek to English um uh, interlinear so that you can figure out which words uh, have been replaced by English words that just don't do them justice. And figure out the tenses and a lot of what's going on here. Verse 7, And the angel said unto me, talking to John, Wherefore didst thou marvel? Why are you marveling at the, the whore? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman. So the angel is promising some revelation into the revelation of the woman. He said, I'll tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. So the angel says, hold on, I'm going to reveal some things to you. I'll tell you the mystery of what you've seen. Because what John saw, evidently, that he revealed to us, is all symbolic. And so now we, like him, wait for the angel to reveal to us, because if the angel revealed the, the vision, 
then the angel certainly has the answer to what the various symbols within the vision really represent. That makes that just makes sense to me. So here's where we got to last week. We got down to verse 8, and again, I say you've got to go back and look at chapter 13. We did that last week, uh, and I'm just going to reread this verse. With the exception of the end of it, I do want to add something about the end of this verse that I did not add last week because of time. So it says in verse 8, The angel revealing to John says this, The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names, the ones who are dwelling on the earth will wonder whose names, now listen to this, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. That's an interesting statement. It's an interesting term, from the foundation of the world. And I don't know if you realize it or not, or if you've thought about it or not, but I've done I've done several studies on this word foundation. And until you understand whether you're looking at one of two Greek words, familion or katabole, you're not going to really understand what this word means in the context in which it's used. Uh, I would turn you to Appendix 146 that has the most clear, concise, uh, thorough study uh, of these terms, the two terms uh, that you'll see. One is uh, from the found, from or since the foundation. The other is before the foundation of the cosmos, and that's pro. Before, and the other word I believe is apo, and it's since. So that um, these that were written, if you look at the translation of it, this translates into since the casting down of the cosmos. That's what the English term uh, from the foundation of the world really means. So it uses the casting down that took place when Satan was cast out of heaven. That is a benchmark in the scripture. If you've never looked at Appendix 146, you are always going to be confused by this term. Appendix 146 will completely fix your misunderstanding of since and before the foundation of the world. And you also need to know if we're talking about familios, as Tony has uh, put up here, or if you're talking about catabole. One is familios is a foundation, that which is laid down to be built upon, like the foundation of a house or the foundation of a heavy building. You gotta dig it into something so that it can support the superstructure that's gonna be built on it. That's what familion or familios means, whether it's the verb or the verb or the noun version. And, but catabole is completely different. Catabole means to throw down, to cast down, and it insinuates ruin, something being thrown over or totally destroyed. Then they're completely different. Yet they're still used, both of them are translated 
as the word foundation in the scripture. I believe that was Satan working with the with the um, translators early on to try to hide what happened to him. Because if you don't understand the catabole, you can't really put Satan in his place. And Satan, remember, he never wants to be put in his place. He wants to inhabit all places. But this this appendix, appendix 146, and I can't stress this enough, will help you understand that. Uh, Stefan Van Hoonen did a great job uh, of presenting catabole, uh, the word foundation, he did that in Jeff Brown's latest conference. And I believe if you go to their website, I don't know where that is uh, at the very moment, but I'm pretty sure they recorded these and they're, they're up for grabs if you want to look at it. But, but Stefan did a wonderful job of, um, of going through the differences and, and taking you through what foundation really means in the Scripture and how it's used in all these. So, these that were chosen here, those whose names are written in the book of life, were chosen since the catabole. They, they were chosen after the earth was restored. They were chosen after the earth was cast down and remained in the water for a, for a period of time. For the church, the members of the body of Christ, guess when your choosing was? Your choosing was before that point. You were chosen before Satan ever sinned in the heavens and brought about this catabole, this casting down of the earth and creation into the water, into the deep. And when we get to Genesis 1-1, it's the earth and all around it, I believe, that we find once again in the water. And darkness, it says, was upon the face of the deep. And it took the Spirit of God moving on the face of the waters to divide the waters from the waters and put space, outer space. The second heaven was created at that point. And that's where Satan is today. But Satan doesn't want you to know much about him. Because he goes about to do his bidding, and the less you know about him, the better off he feels. And that's just the way it is. The more we can know and understand about God's Word and put Him in His place, the better we will be. That's why He always tries to shade and thwart and lie about what the Scripture really says, just as He did to Adam and Eve. Remember, He said, Yea, hath God said, you will surely die. He, the first thing Satan does when he, when he confronts Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3 is to ask them, does God really say that? Is that what God really said? Is to question the Word of God. That's His job. It's what He's always done. It's what He'll always do until His demise comes about. And we're getting there. So let's read it again. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. I'm in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world or since the casting down of the cosmos, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. When they behold that beast, that's, that's what they'll wonder. Okay? Verse 9. So we'll pick up today with our, 
with our study of verse 9, but I wanted to make sure that you understood what was going on with this foundation, this sense of the foundation of the world. That is a that is an extremely important thing. And I didn't, I didn't want to just gloss over that in Scripture. I cannot stress enough the, how, how big a benchmark in Scripture. And a benchmark is something that you measure from. It's like a surveyor goes and puts a pin in the ground. That's a benchmark. That pin is a reference point from which the surveyor is going to go and he's going to measure everything else from that one pin. He can go back to that one pin and set up and throw his angles any way he needs to go and his angles and distances will make up whatever piece of property he's surveying. That's his benchmark. The same thing with the word foundation with the word uh, catabole here in the scripture. You have to have this or you got nothing to measure from. You don't know which side of this cataclysmic event things are reckoned to which side they take place from. So here these people are chosen, the ones that are in the book of life, are chosen before the, the, the casting down. Not are, are chosen after the casting down, not before. The church, you will see, as you read Appendix 146, is chosen before the, the foundation of the world. So we'll let that go. Verse 9. John goes on. Let's go to verse 9. Revelation 17, 9 says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. And now we're getting into Dad's wisdom here a little bit. Here's the man with that wisdom. And the angel is now going to go about and explain what the various things that he's mentioned really stand for in this vision. The things that John saw, the angel is going to tell us what they stand for. And there's no better, there's no better um, explanation of Scripture than Scripture itself. Okay, that's not better. Hold on. So here's the mind which hath wisdom. And here's the beginning of the explanation. The seven heads. You remember when it was mentioned? The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So this sort of represents the seven heads of the seven mountains. And so the coverage or the the reach of this woman uh, reaches to these seven mountains. It says... She sitteth. So she's sort of sitting or established within these these seven mountains or these seven heads uh, as it's shown to uh, to John in this revelation. And verse 10 goes on. It says this, And there are seven kings. There are seven kings, it says. Five, listen to this. Five are fallen, and, and John... Or the angel is revealing this to John at the at the point in time where he is, I believe. It says that there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and this is with a reference to history. Five of these kings, uh, uh, five of the mountains, I guess, are fallen. One is, and the is there is at this in the Companion Bible. It says. The is stands for at this stage of the of the vision, at the stage of the vision where John is. Seven, uh, five are fallen out of seven. One is, 
and the other is not yet come. So as of this point in the vision, these kings or one of these um, seven mountains had not yet come. It says, and when he cometh, he must continue or abide a short space or a, a short space of time, so to say, there in verse 10. Then verse 11, the angel goes on. It says, and the beast that was and is not, even he or he himself is the eighth. And the word the there in, uh, in verse 11, look at the notes. It says, he is he himself. Uh, these uh, should be rendered and, so it should read, and the beast that was and is not, um, he himself is an eighth, not the eighth, or is an eighth, and of the seven, and goeth into perdition. So look at the notes on 11 there. It says uh, that second and, or that second is, is omitted, it says, this being as described as an eighth head, not a king. So this one comes as a head, not as one of the other seven kings, uh, as you may think, from the, from the way that this verse is rendered. And that's why I say, if you're going to do a good study of the Revelation, you've got to know what's being said first. And the only way to know exactly what's being said is to go back Take the translator's view out of it and put it back as close as you can get it to the original Koine Greek, and that's what I would—that's uh, what I would really admonish you to do as as we go through this. So the beast that was and is not, even he himself, is an eighth, and of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Okay, then verse twelve. Now we get what the ten horns are. Remember, the beast had seven heads, ten horns, all these things that we saw earlier in the chapter. The angel goes on here and says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. And let's look at some, look at the notes in the Bible there on verse 12 uh, concerning that one hour. It says one hour, or i.e., at one and the same hour. So all ten of these kings will at some point, all at the same time, receive power uh, as kings one hour with the beast. So there's a lot going on with this beast when you get when you get to looking at what's happening in the revelation and what brings on the judgment. It says IE one hour means IE at one and the same hour. Uh, it says confusion results from substituting kingdoms for kings uh, in the connection here. The Holy Spirit says kings uh who and what they are will be known at the time of their association with the beast. So we don't yet know what these kings are 
or what their power is. And the note in the Companion Bible basically says, we really won't know until we understand their association with the beast, is basically what the, what the note says there. So you can, you can take that, uh, for what that's, for what that reveals there. Verse 13. Going on to talk about these kings that are revealed. It says these have one mind. And, and mind there in verse 13 is, uh, gnome. And it means they have one cognition, one opinion, one resolve. So these ten kings, they are united in their purpose. And their purpose is somehow to support this beast. They give all their power and everything over to the beast. It's all about, it's all about this beast in Rev, when you get to this point in Revelation. It says, these have one mind and shall give their power and their strength that's dunamis unto the beast. They have power. And they have strength. And they, they donate that to the cause. To the evil cause. They give it all to the beast. Verse 14. And then here we go. The angel continually reveals to John things. These, or the ten kings, shall make war with the Lamb. And what happens? What happens when you make war with the Lamb? It doesn't go so well. Remember where the judgment and the wine press of fierceness is being treaded out. It's God and the Lord Jesus Christ as the righteous judge who's doing the treading out of the wine press here. So making war with the Lamb is not going to go so well. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome or subdue them. You see that? It's a pointless battle, but they do it anyway. Waste of time, but they, they must do it. They make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is, listen to this, He, the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called the chosen. Three. The chosen, or, or they with him are, are called and chosen and faithful. Now called, and you look at the notes on verse 14 in the, in the companion Bible. I think it's there. Um, yeah, it should be on 14. The called is the Greek word ketos. It says it's used only here in the Revelation. This is the first The first occurrence is in Matthew 20, 14. Chosen is the Greek form electos, from which we get election, where we choose our leaders. Electos. This is only here in the Revelation. It says, see Matthew 20, 18 for the first occurrence. And then faithful. And there's two appendices to look at for the word faithful. But in the Greek, it's the word pistos. And it means one having faith. Faithful. One full of faith. Belief in something. A hard belief in something is faith. you got to have faith that it's going to take place. 
got to have faith in the Scripture. you got to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. you got to have a hardcore belief that these things are true. And that's what faith. So the ones that are with him are the called, they are the chosen, and they are the faithful. I wonder, and I just wondered as I read this this morning, I wondered if we're the faithful that are with him there. I don't know. But I believe by the point that we get to here where the Lord is treading out these judgments, I believe the the manifestation of the body of Christ is a done deal. It's already taken place. And we are the body of the head. We are the body with the head. And we become the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I happen to believe that where he is, I will be. Now, you can agree or disagree with that. But I wonder if that's why these are included in here, the ones that are with him. You see that? Mm-hmm. Have you ever stopped to think about that? The ones that are with him. Just a thought. Well, Maybe something to think about. That could be where... That can really be where the holy angels that did not have any dealings with Satan along with the ones here on earth that had been chosen blend together, I think, to make the body of Christ look. Could be. Don't know. I don't know about the angels part, but I do agree about the... Well, I, I know they come with him. When he comes... He comes with 10,000 of his angels to execute the judgment. And part of what we're reading is the angels telling about all this judgment that they're going to execute. I'm talking about just being part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I don't know if angels are included in that or not. I've never, I've never really personally seen where that is. I've seen where we are where the members that were chosen, remember, on the other side of the catabolite, I can see where they are part of his body. Uh, and I see where the angels are coming with him when he comes. But I don't know if they literally are part of that body, if that's if that's what you're talking about. Well, the thing of Christ, whatever it is needed, well, they're certainly having a hand in all this. Yeah. It's going to be doled out some way or another. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I, I don't know the relationship that we might have with with them because, you know, that's, that, that's something I haven't worked out in my mind either. Yeah, and Jason's got a question here. He says, so, we'll, so we will be omnipresent resurrection on the earth and heavenly places. Uh, I think whatever we are in Christ uh, will be what we are uh, whenever we uh, appear there with him. Now, whether you want to call that resurrection or not, I don't know. If I'm not dead and I all of a sudden appear there with him, Jason, what do you call that? That's kind of what Paul wanted to be in the Acts period when he said, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be changed. But we won't go before the ones who are dead because the dead in Christ will be resurrected first and we will be changed. Well, does that carry over, I guess, into the 
the present dispensation of the church, the body of Christ? Those are some questions I don't have. I'm not really sure, and I'll say this with lots of reservation. I'm not really sure that we as members of the church, the body of Christ, have a resurrection. And I know that's a mouthful. I'm not so sure you can call what's happening with us, because if, if Paul says in Colossians you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God, what does that mean? Does that preclude a resurrection? Uh, do we literally die and go where he is at that moment? I don't know. I'm still studying that out. There's a lot of scripture that Paul wrote after Acts 28:28 that I think that we as a group haven't resolved. Now I happen to I have it on pretty good authority that Jeff Brown's group do not believe that we have a resurrection. They believe that we're there already, and that. We just don't realize it because of our existence here. We're needed here as a testing ground before we go there. So the minute we close our eyes in death here, do we open our eyes in life there? If my life is hid with Christ and God, and then when the last one does that, does he burst forth? I don't know. I'm just asking. I believe that we as believers have to understand, and maybe that's what the out-resurrection is, Mike. I'm not sure. I'm just saying that I think there's some things here that we as a group can discuss and and try to uh, try to come to some uh, some agreement on, or some understanding of, which would be better. Well, wisdom, wisdom without Christ. Uh, is uh, kind of useless. Exactly. And uh, true wisdom comes through yeah, him. And, yeah. and I think that's what I think the calling is the part of the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit at time of your death, death is a sinful act or caused by sin. Right. Even if it's been paid for. Yeah. Okay. The curse still holds true. Yeah. yeah. But but here's the thing. The spirit is not going to dwell in a dead body. Yep. So that spirit takes whatever I think, in my view, and I might be wrong, but it that the Holy Spirit takes whatever you are that God needs, whatever it is, I think he takes it to Christ. I think it immediately goes back to Christ. Ecclesiastes 12 says the Spirit goeth back to the God that gave it. Yeah. I well, mean, that, that's pretty clear. Okay, well, so whatever that is and, and whatever God can use, He might can energize it to start your uh, view of what... That's why I say this out-resurrection that I think it was Mike mentioned uh, that occurs in Philippians. See, Paul only wrote Philippians very early on. Yeah. I don't know that he had everything he needed to have to understand what he was writing about. He certainly leads you to believe that I don't know if I've attained to this yet. Yeah. Not as though I've already attained, he says, but if I might, yeah, I'll press toward that mark. I'm, I'm moving toward that, although I really don't understand how it happens. Uh, so I wonder if this echinostasis that's mentioned in Philippians 
is possibly just an awakening or if we burst forth and are, 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 are see the fruition of our hope as part of his body before others who are still in Christ. Because I believe their resurrection is much later on after all this judgment's meted out at maybe at the great white throne. I'm not sure. I'm still I'm still a student, y'all. I'm I'm definitely still working this out. And uh Jason, if you want to come down sometime and have <laughs> have a big study about this, we'll spend all weekend doing it or yeah, we could even jump on Zoom and and uh try to you know, try to figure this out. But I believe it's important. I want to know as best I can from the word what what my hope is. And I wanna I don't want to be an ashamed workman when I stand before the Lord and not yeah, I don't want to stand there and not know what uh <laughs> I I don't want to stand there and not know what my hope is. Well I think we need to understand this as good as we possibly can. And uh, I'm not saying by any means that I've got all the answers because I don't. But I believe that we can know more as a group and understand more as a group from the <laughs> from the uh, things the Holy Spirit reveals to others because I don't have all the answers. I'll tell you that right now. From the collective wisdom. Exactly. You see, when 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 Titus when Titus was brought forth. He said, uh, when Titus comes forth and is dealt with in Scripture, he says he has the common faith. Well, the common faith is, is a sort of a, uh, a collective thing from the world group yeah. that they may or may not understand together. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they may, have a, they may have a common root, but different hopes within Right. And and I think that's that's where we are with the world today. Yeah. My hope and my faith is not the same as the people in Ebenezer Baptist Church up the road here. Yeah. It, it we have the same Christ yeah. to your point, and they believe in Christ just as I do, but they believe their hope is something totally different from what I believe my hope is. Yeah. And when I explain my hope to them, they would look at me like I got three eyes because they don't get it. They they don't see it. They don't understand it. And so that's, to your point, that's kind of where we are. Yeah. So didn't mean to get completely off track there. Let's um, run that time. Let's see if we can get. No, I'm good. No, no. Let's, let me get down through uh, Revelation 17 here. But think about the call, the chosen, and the faithful there in verse 14. Verse 15. John. And it says, And he saith unto me, this is the angel talking to John, listen to this, The waters which thou sawest, and this is referring back to verse 1, the, the whore that sat upon many waters, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. It's just a sea of people, all the nations of the earth, and and multitudes, it says, of people. So there is another interpretation for you that you can lean on. The Spirit says the waters represent peoples and tongues, different nations. Verse 16, and the ten horns, see, this this angel goes into a lot of detail here about what represents what. And the ten horns 
which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Now that's interesting. That's these, the ten horns that you see upon the beast. That's not the, let's see, were they, it says in 12, the ten horns which thou sawest are the ten kings uh, which have received no kingdom as of yet. I wonder if that's the same ten horns there. I believe it probably is. The ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Verse 17. Sounds like the woman doesn't do too good under the the ten kings. Verse 17 goes on, For God hath put in their hearts. See, God touches the hearts of these ten kings to fulfill his thalema, his will. Wow. So they have a, evidently have a change of heart. With, yeah. Uh, to, to obtain. They evidently get some wisdom from somewhere. I think Dad's right. To obtain God's wisdom is something that man just can't put Can't get there, yep. Yeah. And to agree or to carry out, um, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to carry out and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So within all this goings on, in this judgment, we also see fulfillment of God's word completely taking place here. Wisdom fulfilled. Yep. There it does. Amen. And then we'll close with 18 here. And the woman which thou sawest, the angel says, is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth at the time that John is getting the revelation, or at the time that we're within within the scope of the vision here. Now we'll say that. That's why chronology here, remember, I continually say chronology in the book of the Revelation is very difficult. It's difficult to track. Um, you almost have to do it by event upon event. And then as you go along, like we're seeing here, we see a breakdown of uh, like a revelation within a revelation uh, about things that are going to happen. So we'll stop there with our um, with our study today here in Revelation 17. Hopefully you got a little bit out of this. Hopefully uh, you've been made to think a little and to become curious and to want to look at these things and and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because uh, I wouldn't lie to you. I don't have all the answers. And for the guy that comes up and says he has all the answers, I would be very, very careful uh, because um, could be uh, his version of the answers and could be there to deceive. Uh, I don't know of any of our crew that would say, hey, I, I know everything there is to know about Revelation. I am yet to meet that person within the, <laughs> within the circles that I study within. I don't know anybody. Now, yeah, exactly, Jason. You need to be running from that guy and, uh, and screaming maybe as you run or scream like a girl as you run. So 
Uh, yeah, the beast um, could be. It looks like it represents a little bit of a system until it, you know, literally becomes an entity. And uh, I think that's that's part of what we got to figure out, North, as we go through uh, the book of the Revelation. And I'm, I certainly, as a, as a student, am, am working on that. Uh, I, uh, that's a good, good question, Seller. I believe, uh, or Lydia, I believe that it probably at the time in which the vision is taking place, because the angel is moving John through the vision, and he's telling him the things that take place during the vision. So I, my personal view would be to think it, and that's of the Companion Bible as well, that it's at the time of the vision. I don't know where that fits in the actual chronology timeline, which is uh, what I was trying to, to bring forth there. So, oh, and it looks like uh, my recorder locked down, and I do not have a recording uh, of this study today at lockdown at 21 minutes. So probably when I disconnected the mic. So mm-hmm. that uh, I hope maybe Chip or Tony, I hope one of you guys have a recording because I got 21 minutes of it until we start having mic issues. Okay, good. And that's it. So if you could forward that to me so I could put it in the in the um, archives, I would uh, definitely appreciate it. So uh Let's close with prayer, and then we'll get on with the um, the Arizona study today. So bow with us. Father, once again, we, we come before you, and we thank you uh, for this wonderful word, Father, that humbles us every time we open it. And it brings us to the realization, Father, that we got a lot of studying to do. It brings us to the realization that it truly is the unsearchable riches and the fact that the more we see and the more we think we know, the more we don't. And God, thank you for that humbleness. Thank you for that spirit that keeps us digging and keeps us looking in your word. Father, give us the spirit to discuss these things as with a Christ-like manner. And even as we may disagree, Father, to do it in a Christ-like way so that we would not grieve your spirit as we study. And, Father, that, would, that we would all be found in that unity of peace uh, in that bond of perfection that, that Paul talks about. Father, thank you for each and every one that come this way today, both here with us and those that have joined us online. Father, be with those that we mentioned for uh, the prayer request. We ask that you would bless and heal them according uh, to your work and, and to your will. Father, thank you for the beautiful day and for the life that we have here, Father, in preparation for that life that we know we have within the body of Christ. Be with us. Continue to lead God and bless us is our prayer in Christ's name as we close. Amen.